0: Do we have any sailors in the house? I mean, I mean like, you know how to sail, like, you, you know, like what to do with the sheets and the rigs and, and, and all that stuff. Yeah, I see those hands out there. Well, I, I was recently reading in a, a story uh, of a guy who was on vacation with his family at Lake Michigan and decided to go down to the beachfront and rent one of those little two man, you know, sailboats. He'd never sailed before, but you know, he said, how hard could it be, right? Well, after you know 20 frustrating minutes of bluster and, and red, being red-faced, he was still only a few feet from the shore. And finally, the, the teenager in the, the rental hut kind of took pity on him and came down and, and gave him a few lessons. But man, what a beautiful picture of, of what faith is and what it requires, right? How busy and how frantic we can be trying to pull sails or trying to get things to work to get our boats to move along. But until we learn to trust the wind until we learn how to catch it. Uh, we're not going to go anywhere, right? That, and our sermon series this morning continues in Hebrews 11. And it's that chapter, chapter 11, where, where we look back at the faith of those heroes of the Bible, right, in an effort to help us consider what is, it, what is faith meant to look like in our own lives? And today, the focus is going to be on Abraham and Sarah, the very first bearers of God's covenant. And how they had faith in in the God they could not see or control, much like the wind. In other words, they they were good sailors. And so I invite you to turn with me to Hebrews 11, verse 8. Grab a Bible, either the one in the chair in front of you or on your phone or the one you brought with you. And as always, let's, let's pray to God for help. Holy Spirit, we're praying that you would do that thing we just sang about, that you would magnify Jesus in our own hearts and our minds, that you would put before us a vision of life with you forever, and that you would begin to stir up a greater faith in us to trust not only the things that you bring and give, but to teach us to trust you. Father, anything that I say that's not of you, may it be quickly forgotten. Amen. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents. With Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has a foundation whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Friends, thanks be to God for the hearing and reading of his holy word. Amen. So, looking at our passage this morning and developing sort of this deeper understanding of what faith looks like in the life of a believer, I, I want to draw your attention to the way that Abraham and Sarah's faith was directed first toward a place, then to a promise, then to a person. That their faith was directed to a place, toward a promise, and toward a person. Abraham, called Abram when he first appears in Genesis, was a man who had everything. He had success, he had a wife, he had wealth, he lived near his family, he had security. But God calls him to pack it all up, his entire household, and go to a place that God will show him later. Now, today we make moves all the time. Ginger and I moved here 10 and a half years ago to when I got called to serve at the college. Maybe uh, many of you have moved around for work, or you served in the military, or, or maybe you moved here in order to be near the beauty and, and the peace of this place. But back in that day, you just didn't move like that. Not, not if you couldn't help it. Famine and invasion were perennial threats, and, and there, therefore stability was dependent on staying in one place near your family and your friends, putting down roots, establishing fields, expanding the herd, fortifying defenses. In other words, uprooting your family without being forced to do so was really a serious threat to survival. This was no small ask. But Abraham does it. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And it's not just that he left a stable job and his extended family behind. It's that he did it without knowing where God was going to take him. It says in Genesis 12 that God says, Go from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land I will show you. In other words, he hasn't shown him yet. And then in our passage in verse 8, it explains that he went out not knowing where he was going. Abraham let go of his earthly home not knowing where he was going, because he trusted that God had a better home for him. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land. Living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Now, he eventually lands in Canaan after kind of a long detour in Egypt, but, but even there, they were still nomads. They were still living in tents. Abraham and his family weren't settled. I mean, can you imagine living out of your suitcase for the rest of your life? But Abraham shows true faith in relinquishing control to catch the wind, if you will, to go where God wanted to take him. And you can do that. You can do that when when you trust the God who will be and give you a home. You see, Abraham never went back to the safety and stability of life in Ur because he knew God had a better home for him. It says, now those who say such things, make it clear, they are seeking a homeland. If they were thinking about where they came from, they would have an opportunity to return, but they now desire a better place, a heavenly one. Desire a better place. What's the home that you desire? What's the place of safety and stability that you long for with all your bones? Don't we all want that, a, a, a desire, a better place, a real home? I, I find that it pops up for me unexpectedly when the tears emerge while I'm like watching a movie or reading a story where, where they go on a, the hero goes on some kind of journey, overcomes some unbelievable hardship, they, they survive and they return home and they live happily ever after. Something stirs in me with that. Listening to some work of music that resonates with a hurting place deep inside of me where that, something that says one day this ugliness too will be made beautiful. Or when I hear a testimony in church of someone's old life, broken life being made new in Jesus. I also feel that longing for home when I watch the news. You can feel that longing, that desire when you wonder how you're gonna pay the bills, when you wonder if there's ever gonna be a day you're gonna live without pain, if that, that one person in your life is ever gonna to, going to change and understand the way they've hurt you. You know it in moments like that, you know it in your bones that you desire a better place, a better home, a better place to live. And that longing is real, It's not just wishful thinking. It's not just a, uh, it's not just sort of some flight of fancy. That longing is real because there is a real place that we are destined to go. A real place. The city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. You know, everybody gets so nervous talking about revelation, but really it's just the happy declaration of our God who will win. The victory of our king includes a place, a real place, a new heaven and a new earth, a place with no more crying or tears, the new Jerusalem coming as a bride dressed in her finest. I'm not, I'll never forget that moment 16 years ago where I was standing in front of the church trembling and the doors of the, in the back opened and there was Ginger, beautiful, radiant, lovely beyond words. My, my heart bursts as I think about that day. But think about the day when Jesus will, sw- the doors will swing open, revealing Jesus coming to take us home. That day is coming, it's a real day. And faith is fixing our eyes on that home that God has for you and for me, a place of safety and belonging and peace. Uh, And and, and our faith is learning how to do that even in the midst of our hardship and suffering, in the midst of the sad things of your life. Henry Ford is is attributed to saying, obstacles are those frightful things you see when you take your eyes off the goal. You see, our goal is home with God. In heaven forever, fixing your eyes on that place and stirring up the faith you need to make it through whatever comes your way, knowing that at the end of the day, that's where you will be. Abraham was keenly aware that even Canaan was not his home. That he was a foreigner in the land of promise. He arrived where God showed him and he knew that even that wasn't it. He remembered he's a stranger longing for a permanent home. His faith was aimed toward the place that he was going to dwell forever. And this is a good word for us. And it's a good word for the audience of Hebrews as well, living in the Roman world, being persecuted for their faith. Friend, do you find that you're trying too hard to make your home here? We're strangers, too. Peter calls us sojourners and exiles. We're out of step with this world, this culture, what everybody around us calls success or stability or safety. Anyone who's lived overseas for any extended period of time, missionaries or, again, military, or those who have just been, been able to do that, you know that exhausting tension of living between uh, a foreign place with a longing for home, some excitement, but also a nervousness, a weariness of living in a land of different language and values and customs. That's how it's like for us. And like Abraham, our faith must continually be aimed back home. And doing so allows us to hold loosely to the things of this world that, that seem safe, that seem secure, but will be nothing compared to the home that God has for us. Secondly, Abraham and Sarah's faith was directed to a promise. You see, our faith is not only directed toward that place, but the promises of God. The whole Bible is a record of God's rescue plan to save humanity that that is enacted in promises, in these key moments, a plan uh, of covenants where he's meeting people in specific places and setting things in motion that that will see the fulfillment of those promises ultimately in Jesus. But Abraham, then Isaac, and later Jacob, they were bearers of this covenant. God's covenant promise to Abraham was to give them a child in their old age, that their descendants would number more than the stars in the the sky and the sand on the seashore, that they would be given a land, that they would become a nation in order to be a blessing to the entire world. So God makes a massive promise to Abraham and Sarah. And despite, despite it seeming too good to be true, Abraham and Sarah take him at his word. They believe the promise. But you know, receiving the promise and having the faith to to trust it day to day are two very different things, isn't it? I mean, we get to read straight through Genesis 12 through 23 in one sitting in the comfort of our own home. It's easy to sort of gloss over this. But for Abraham and Sarah, it represented decades upon decades of waiting of toiling in the day-to-day, waiting through the highs and lows of life, waiting for the if and the when, God would manifest those promises. And of course, in that Genesis account, we read that their faith wavered, and sometimes they tried to take matters into their own hands, and spoiler alert, it never ended well. But then after 25 years of waiting, Abraham and Sarah finally held that child, Isaac. And if And some of you know that kind of 25-year waiting or longer. If any of you have ever had to wait for a child or or are still waiting. A parent who's prayed diligently for years or or decades for their child to return to the faith they were raised in. Waiting to, to find a treatment or a diagnosis. If you're in a season of waiting, God bless you. And God is with you. Abraham and Sarah know. And Abraham and Sarah are a testimony that yes, God keeps his promises. Abraham and Sarah lived their life as if those promises were going to come true, whether there were days they were feeling it or days they weren't. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered Him faithful who had promised. She kept going back to the God she knew would would keep his promise. We read that the first time she heard about God's promise, Sarah laughed in derision at the audacity of her old, worn-out body actually giving birth to a child. But God turned that into the laughter of joy as she later gives birth to Isaac, the child of promise. Now, later, God tested Abraham's faith in that promise by asking him to offer Isaac as a sacrifice. And again, we, we get the benefit of, of, of reading that God was just testing Abraham and that he never intended to really kill Isaac. But it's difficult to comprehend, at least for me, what it cost Abraham moment by moment to go through with it, to pack the donkey, to walk the miles step by step with his son right next to him, The child of promise. To climb the mountain one foot in front of the other. To build the altar one rock at a time. To pile the wood and finally bind his son on the altar. Trusting. Trusting that God, even though he was asking him to surrender the most precious promised gift, that God would be faithful somehow when it made no sense, when, when there was no conceivable way that it's gonna be any different, that God would make a way and, and, and then for him to reach out and grab the knife. Abraham's faith is a faith that is looking to God's promise with, with every moment, every breath, clinging to it desperately, even when faced with the impossible. But here's the thing. Abraham wasn't clinging to Isaac. Isaac. Abraham's faith was not in the child of promise. Isaac was not the object of Abraham's faith. His faith was utterly locked on God and God's faithfulness to his promises. Abraham trusted that God would keep his promise even if it meant raising Isaac from the dead. And let me tell you, resurrection had not come into the picture yet. This was not a feature of the Jewish faith. Not in the way we think about it. Not like this. Now, how often... How often do we make our faith in God dependent on the well-being of, of that precious thing in our life? That we only fear, feel near to God when it's all going right? That we struggle to cling to the promises of God when it's not? We only trust God when it's going well? Abraham and Sarah give us a picture of faith that endures, clinging to God's promises, even in the face of the most difficult, even impossible situations. Hebrews takes this a step further in verse 13, and and I actually find it kind of funny, to be honest, because after he talks about these great moments of faith of Abraham and Sarah, he bluntly says, and then they died. But, But I think this is massively important for us because it says they died in faith, having not received the things they were were promised. In other words, they trusted God completely. They were faithful. And that trust was rewarded with not getting the thing, not getting to experience the full fullness of of that promise. And that's because they knew God's promises were not about their life and not about their fulfillment, not even about ultimately their own happiness. They trusted God even when they didn't get to see the results. This is hard, isn't it? I mean, don't we wanna know that if we pray enough that that we're gonna see the positive response to those prayers? But what if faith is calling us to something even deeper than that? Abraham and Sarah knew somehow in some way that they were players in a much bigger plan, God's plan of salvation, where on the basis of his unfailing promises, he would complete all he said he would. And so Abraham and Sarah were simply faithful with what they could be faithful with. Because I think this is what faith in God really does. It fixes our eyes in the long game. It puts all that we struggle with and deal with in perspective in what God is doing in the big picture, on all that God's, of God's purposes that he's working out for the good. Now, how many of you are praying and waiting for answered prayers or promises? Can, do you think that, that you could still trust in God if you had to allow for the possibility that God's faithful execution of, of his promises may not happen until you're gone? That's trust. God has has a place for for you. An eternal home where God sits on the throne forever, a place where you will finally know you belong, an inheritance where we'll be able will be safe and stable and at peace. Jesus Himself promised this in John 14. In my father's house are many rooms. If I were if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. There's no heaven on earth until the day Jesus brings heaven to earth. So what homeland, what place are you seeking? Is your desire for a better home? God has promises. For you, and He keeps those promises to never leave you, to never forsake you, to show mercy even when you can't show it to yourself, to never let you go, to give you a living hope that will see you through, to empower you to love and serve in the name of Jesus. God keeps His promises. And so, are are you willing to trust in that, to cling to it, to let go of the need to see the result? And to trust that God will bring about that which will bring him glory and the greatest good. I would argue that this is what makes prayer and scripture and and reading and, and, and coming to church and worship so, so important. To continue to lock our eyes on that place and on those promises that our hearts are so quickly to abandon. But we have to realize That both the place and the promise, as wonderful and beautiful as they are, because they are, they belong in second place. Because our faith must ultimately rest in a person. Capital P person, in the God who is the architect of our home, the one who is the promise keeper. The object of our faith is not the blessing or the benefit. It is the God, him, is God himself revealed in Jesus Christ. You see, the aim and the destination of our faith is the living God with who is with you and who is for you. Jesus Christ is the one who takes the nails and the wood of the cross to build an eternal home for you out of his own blood, sweat, and tears, buying you the salvation that you could never earn. Jesus is the promise keeper who gives us a new covenant sealed in his blood, the blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus is the victorious king who will fulfill all that God has promised to defeat sin and evil and death, to come again and welcome us to his house forever. He is the object and destination of our faith. And it is life with him, living in us through the power of the spirit that gives us what we need to wait for that glorious day. To cling to his promises until they are realized. Because there will be a time and a place and a moment where we will get to look back even on that hardship, even on that thing with the impossible, uh, that seemed impossible and see the way God, God made new life out of even that. The good news is that this kind of faith is not about never doubting or, or, or not having those dry seasons where, we, where our faith seems so thin and, and, and papery. In fact, I would say it's a normal part of the life of faith to, to experience those, those seasons of closeness and those seasons of far away where, where it seems so easy to draw near to God and, or where it seems next to impossible or even wonder, is, this, is all this just really a joke? Have I just fooled myself? So, so take courage if you, you don't feel like your faith is in that place. Because faithfulness is, is, is living as if those promises are true and coming back to them again and again. And again, here's the thing. God knows we need help. That's why he gives us the Holy Spirit to live us. And he gives us these these reminders. And reminder may not even be strong enough for word. But he gives us these things that draw our hearts, our vision, our aim back to him, back to his home, back to his promises, back to himself. And we're about to, to practice one of the biggest ones together. And then when we come to the table of the Lord Jesus, so friends, let's get ready to meet with him. The one who is the architect of our home, the one who is the prom the keeper of our of his promises, uh, the one who is worthy of our praise.